don't we start with a little uh, super <laughs> tribute? Woo! Woo! I like to auto draft. Woo! That was on point, Lionel. Welcome back to the Fantasy Foreplay Podcast. I am your host, Car Booker. With me, I have my co-host, BD. I am. I am. I am the BDJ. Lionel, can you uh, can you remind us what exactly does BDJ stand for? Well, BDJ comes from a long heritage of my family, and it stands for Big Dick Johnson. So the Johnsons have been a long, long, long time ago. They had a big dick, and then it passed down to generations, and here I am with that big dick. And so correct me if I'm wrong. This is a literal big dick. It's not that the family members actually have big dicks. It's that you guys preserved a, a big dick in ancient times and passed it on family member to family member over the generations. And so you actually are the proud owner of a big dick, the big dick of the Johnson family. And that is why your name is Big Dick Johnson, correct? That's correct. It, it doesn't mean I, it does change sizes over generations and it doesn't mean that my dick is small. It just means that my, my ancestors had a big dick. Yeah. Okay. Well, so this week we're going to be discussing the AFC East. Uh, we're going to be breaking down the teams. Now, before we kick off, <clears throat> I did want to address why this podcast came late. Now, um, I, I could tell you that uh, we recorded on Sunday and that it was our first time, you know, using certain interfaces and uh, maybe it wasn't recorded right. Or I could tell you the truth. And quite frankly, uh, we had another member of the league with us on the podcast. Lionel, could, uh, do you care to share who that member was? It was absolutely terrible. And <laughs> I'm still disappointed that we even attempted trying that. But it, it was a uh, Seab. <laughs> also known as um, Seab's Raiders, Seab's Patriots, Seab's Niners, and... Uh, you know, Steve's San Vegas Patriots are going to be not a part of this episode anymore. Because quite frankly, um, you know, we, we want this to be a podcast of substance. We want to lead you guys to success. And uh, when we do segments about, you know, draft strategies, let's just say auto draft is not necessarily something that we wish to endorse. Yeah, if we wanted to have a robot on the show... Uh... I mean, that's not something we want to do. You know, we want yeah, human, we would, like, we we would human interaction. Use, we would just use Lionel's sex doll. Yes, exactly. Soft so, warm. So kicking off, uh, speaking of sex dolls, why don't we go with uh, Miss Captain Mono, Sam Darnold, and the Jets. Why don't you kick it off there, Lionel? Captain Mono. Um, I actually really like Sam Darnold. I know that he may have issues with semen. Or having getting it stuck oh, in the mouth or something, and that's why he's now. I mean, as an NFL quarterback, I must suck, and just have knowing everybody in the world, in the United States, so in New York knows this. So I know you had some some pretty serious thoughts about um, this team's production with Adam Gase there. Um, what what do you think? Last year was Adam Gase's first year with the Jets. They had quite a lackluster performance. I mean, there's a lot of things that plagued that team, you know, but you have a lot of volume with Le'Veon Bell. I mean, we know Frank Gore went there, but um, I can't imagine he's going to take too much 
off of Le'Veon Bell. Do you think what happened to Le'Veon Bell last season, where he had a lot of carries, a lot of opportunity, but the productivity just wasn't what you had hoped for? Uh, do you think he bounces back this year, stays the same, or um, is there potential for him to, to get worse? I don't think he's going to get worse. I do think he'll get better, but he's not going to be where you want him to be with the kind of contract he got. Or, yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh got rid of him, and look what the Jets are now paying for it. Uh, this isn't – I don't think he's going to have a very good year, especially if you're going to draft a running back one. It may be really risky to do something like that. But if you're going to – if you want a running back two, even with the production he had last year in the games he played, you're going to have – I think you'll have a decent um, player in him. And this offense is going to rely heavily on Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold is going to be the key to success for all of these players, including Le'Veon Bell. Uh, especially the reason why I think Le'Veon Bell will have a good season fantasy-wise is because of his pass-catching ability. And I think Sam Darnold can definitely utilize Le'Veon Bell uh, efficiently this next season. So Le'Veon Bell is going in the fourth round right now, uh, pretty much like smack dab in the middle of the fourth round. Some other people going around him. Um, so I'm going to name, you know, like five players that are going around him. You have Melvin Gordon, Chris Carson, Jonathan Taylor, and David Johnson. Melvin Gordon and Chris Carson are drafting, are going ahead of him slightly right now, and uh, David Johnson and Jonathan Taylor behind. Of, um, I mean, where would you rank Le'Veon Bell among those players? I, I think there's an argument for, an argument for him to be the, the one to be taken out of those players with the opportunity he's going to have. I think one or two. I think one or two from that group there is pretty good. Um, I, I The only one I would maybe consider over him, maybe Chris Carson, but I am a little bit nervous about that, which um, we forgot to mention. So with speaking of Chris Carson, this week there was a trade in the NFL. Or not a trade, a uh, signing. Carlos Hyde signs with the Seahawks, right? And so now, you know, what you can tell that this, this team isn't confident after what happened to them last year going into the playoffs where everyone was injured, they had to bring Marshawn Lynch off his, you know, podcast that he was doing, you know, to, to come play football in the playoffs. Um, you know, I don't think Carlos Hyde takes a lot of that, but Rashad Penny's still going to be coming back. I think, you know, you look at that, you look at Le'Veon Bell's situation, Frank Gore's not going to compete with him. I, I think I'd give the edge to Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell is definitely going to be heavily used. Uh, two years ago, he was obviously gone for the season. And then last year, uh, pretty decent production, um, 789 yards in 15 games. Obviously, again, not really what you want from someone like Le'Veon Bell, but the O-line has improved. Still good for He has another year though. in this offense. <clears throat> that's a good – I mean, that's a good Florida running back. You know, like last year – he wasn't exciting. He never won you a week. Like he wasn't the best player on your team ever, but he, you know, he'd put in, he, he was not a first round draft pick. That's why he was so lackluster last year. He did not return value. Then the fourth round, I do think you're getting value. You know, like you said, as a running back too, I'd be happy to have Le'Veon Bell as my running back too. Um, I'm not really interested in Sam Darnold per se. Um, he's going really late in the draft right now. But I think there's other young quarterbacks that offer more fantasy or more potential fantasy value than Sam, than Sam Darnold this year. Um, I know some people might disagree. I, I don't think so. And I'd be willing to take them on mano a mano. So uh, <laughs> I saw 
I was listening to Colin Coward. He had Sam Darnold over Dak Prescott. Do you agree with that? Fuck no. Yeah, talent-wise. No. Ceiling, ceiling, who has the higher ceiling? Sam Darnold actually does have the higher ceiling. But there's no guarantee that he reaches that, let alone you look at who his, who his coach is and what he did for another young, uh, pro- promising talent in Ryan Tannehill. You know, and how uh, lackluster his career was until Adam Gase left the picture. You know, and Ryan Tannehill goes to Tennessee. Look at what he did. You know, he's a, he's a solid quarterback. Definitely a lot better than he was with the Dolphins. You know, so I worry about Sam Darnold. He's still young, really young. Like, he entered the league when he was 20. Yeah, I think he's barely like 22 or 20. I think he's 22 right now. You know, it's incredibly young for a quarterback. Some of the quarterbacks drafted last year are older than him. You know, so he has a lot of potential, but right now, no way. Dak Prescott, for sure. Um, but why don't we move on to another team? Um, I'm really excited to talk about the Bills, and, and since we're talking about Frank Gore, uh, we can talk about what he did on the Bills last year and how it affected um, the running game there. Because really, when you look at the Bills, like they're primarily a team that wants to rely on their defense and really wants to focus in heavily on the running game. So last year, Frank Gore, he handled the highest percentage of the rushing attempts on this team, which is actually pretty surprising. He was not the most efficient, and he did not gain the most yards on this team. But he had 36% of the yardage, or I'm sorry, of the attempts, 29% of the yardage, and 15% of the touchdowns. That's a pretty big chunk. This is a team that drafted uh, Zach Moss in the third round. That's high draft equity. Um, and they've come out and said, like, we want to use him in a similar role to Frank Gore. I don't think he's going to be the lead back in this team. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's seriously going to hear, uh, hurt Singletary's upside. I mean, you look at uh, Devin Singletary, right now he's going pretty high. You know, he's going uh, in the late fourth, so right around Le'Veon Bell. You know, he's this guy that you don't have a lot of guaranteed productivity for him. Last year, he had, only, he had 150 attempts. He's very efficient, 775 yards but two touchdowns because that's not his role. They don't trust him for that. That's what they drafted Zach Moss for. You know, so I, I, I just, I'm not interested in, in that side of the running game. Um, but I think having the two of them and, and the way that this offense operates, it does make me very excited for Josh Allen in particular. Uh, last year I had Josh Allen on my team for a while. And I, I honestly – Really enjoyed it. I kind of wish I would have just kept him the whole season. I, I made some trades and I got Russell Wilson and it kind of bit me in the ass because I had Russell Wilson who had like three huge games, like enormous, and then garbage in between. And Russell Wilson fi- finished as a higher quarterback at the end of the year, but the consistency was not there. Whereas Josh Allen was putting up 20 points week in, week out, you know, nothing crazy. But if you can count on 20 points at your fucking, at your quarterback position, you're good. And he finished as the quarterback six last year. Right now, um, he's the only – so the, the rankings in top ten basically go Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Rodgers, and Breeds. And I might even play, play some higher than six, in my opinion, because of the upside that, that he presents as a runner. Like, who – of those – would you take like right now Rodgers is going like in the tenth round? Uh, Josh Allen is going in the mid seventh round. Who would you rather have? I'd probably have Rodgers there. 
Um, but I do understand the rushing point with that. And even with Josh Allen, I, I think he's way better than Kyler Murray. I mean, and the reason why Kyler Murray is so high. At least in year high, two, I agree. At least in year two, I agree. And with Kyler Murray, the reason why he's such a high draft possibility is because of his ability to run. But Josh Allen has that too. And this next year, I think he's going to be really successful, especially with that new team and with Diggs. That's going to be scary. Yeah. He took a step up last year. You know, um, so the, the, what, what makes Josh Allen so val- valuable, he's not the most accurate quarterback. You're not buying in for his passing. You're buying in for his rushing. And um, he's extremely productive as, as, a, as a runner. He had 109 attempts last year, 510 yards, nine touchdowns. You can compare those numbers to any year for Cam Newton, and it's within his range, entirely within his range. Mm-hmm. This kid did this on year two. Um, you look at his passing stats, 460 attempts, 3,100 yards, 20 touchdowns. Again, almost identically comparable to what Cam Newton has traditionally done throughout his career. Now, if you look at Cam Newton when he was younger, I mean, you're telling me basically you're getting a value Cam Newton in the seventh round. I think that's a hell of a value. I would rather, I would rather take Josh Allen in the seventh than Rodgers on a team that's shifting to a running, uh, a running heavy format, uh, relying more on their defense. He's older in his career, you know, kind of relying on, on just being a smart quarterback now more than those big end plays. I'd rather take Josh Allen in the seventh. Do you think uh, Rodgers is going to play angry or safe this season? I, I don't know. See, I think Rodgers is going to do whatever works. The reason why that team always ends up with, it, with a winning record at the end of the year, the exception of a couple of years ago, um, is because they always find a way to make something work. Now, what they want, what they want is to have a run-heavy offense, and they can do it. They have a great runner in Aaron Jones. Um, they just drafted A.J. Dillon, who's, you know, he profiles as a fullback slash running back. He's great. He's a great trucker. And then you have Jamal Williams. Those are three capable backs. Now, I don't, I don't consider Jamal Williams, I think, is actually the – he's going to be the number two this year. But I think by the end of the year, A.J. Dillon AJ Dillon's the number two. Um, but they have the capability to, to make it work that way. So if it works, I don't, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to go against it. And if it works, you could get, as a, as a football team, not fantasy perspective, you can get the greatest productivity you've ever gotten from Rodgers. Look at what the Titans did last year. And, and, and LaFleur was the OC of the Titans before he came to the Packers, right? So look at what the Titans did. You know, the run heavy. They get really creative with their play call, and they ask Ryan Tannehill to low to throw as little as possible, but he makes these incredible plays when he has to. Who better to take on that role than Aaron Rodgers? You know, so I, I think uh, fantasy. I that I do think the Packers are going to have a lot of success next year. I do, but I don't know. I, I I just don't know what the upside. There was once a time where Aaron Rodgers was a guaranteed you know, number one or number two quarterback at the end of the year. Last year, he, I mean, he didn't even finish in the top 15, I don't think. You know? It's been a minute. Feels like every time I play against Rodgers, I always fucking lose. He, he has the ability to do that. But last year, um, he did not pay out. I would I'd rather take Josh Allen. But anyway, 
moving on to the receivers there. Um, again, I think that they help Josh Allen more than they are values themselves. Uh, Stefan Diggs last year, he can maintain the productivity that he had last year. He saw a downtick in targets. He had 94 targets the year before he had like well over a hundred, um, 64 receptions, 1,130 yards. And he was very efficient with his targets. Uh, he averaged 17 yards per reception, 17.9 yards per reception last year, but over his career, he's averaged 12. So I think, um, he's going in the fifth round right now. Uh, I just did a mock draft recently where I was looking at who's available in the fifth round. And like, it's, you know, you have Stefan Diggs there, um, Terry McLaurin, Devontae Adams, AJ Green. I was tempted to, I was really between AJ Green and Stefan Diggs. I ended up choosing Stefan Diggs. And the only reason is because I'm, I'm nervous about AJ Green's health and he's old, right? But I do think that the upside is higher for AJ Green. I don't think, I'm not expecting Stefan Diggs to just like blow his numbers out of the water. I don't think there's a whole lot of productivity. Like now the ball's going to be spread out a lot. You have Diggs there, you have John Brown there. Um, as it is, this is a team that wants to focus on running. Uh, you know, if I was going to take a shot on them, I would prefer to take a shot on John Brown, who's going in the eighth round. And there's potential for him to have, uh, at the very least, maintain his, his role from last year with, you know, not having to worry about the number one DB on the other team. You know, if the best corner on the other team or if they're double teaming Stephon Diggs, um, you know, it opens up the field for him a little bit. So there's potential there. And I think you could find out early enough in the season to where you can either, if, if it doesn't pan out, maybe you can use them uh, to, to beef up a trade. Yeah. Or uh, if it works out, then, I mean, you have, you have a flex option in the eighth. The last thing really quick on this team, uh, Zach Moss is going in the 15th round, got drafted this last year. He's, you can basically take him with your last pick. I think he's someone that's probably going to end up on waivers early on in the season. I don't think he's going to have a good enough role to really uh, get attention early on in the season. But uh, if you have the capability on your bench to stash him long-term, he could have a role. And he's one of those handcuffs that, you know, if something, if, if Singletary goes down, not that he's injury prone, he's not really injury prone, but you never know what could happen. Um, Zach Moss would have a serious opportunity on that team. I think he'll be on the waiver wire for the first couple of weeks. And then if we see any decent production out of him, he might get chosen at that point. So speaking of uh, production or lack thereof, um, you want to talk about the Patriots? Yeah. Um, Patriots fans, pretty fucking annoying, but always loyal to their team. Even when Brady left, they're sticking with Stidham, call him Stud Stidham. Uh, every Patriots fan thinks Belichick knows what to do with this guy. I'm not as highly sold. I don't know much about Stidham. And obviously, since he hasn't really done anything, we were not going to know until this next season. And I have question marks with Stidham. And for a quarterback class right now in the league that we're pretty confident, there's a lot of good quarterbacks. And what we were talking about maybe a surplus. I think this is one of the teams that is a question mark at quarterback and Stidham, and especially with the way the team is one of the reasons Brady, well, one of the concerns when Brady was there was that he didn't have a team around him and there's not much that this team has actually done to improve that. If you look at the offensive weapons they have, they still don't have much to work with. 
and the ones that they've had teams already know how to deal with some of the running backs and some of the receivers. And so this is one of the question marks I and mean, he might be really good, but right now I'm not sold on it. And I don't think he's going to pan out very well, but we'll see how that works out with Belichick because one of the best, if not the best coach in the league. Running backs. Uh, I know you're not really me either. Um, not really confident that they're going to be, they're going to produce much production. Um, obviously they're going to be used a lot, but whether that leads to a production, I'm not uh, completely certain on. Uh, Sony Michelle has done pretty good in the last couple of seasons, 931 yards in 13 games in 2018, 912 yards in 16 games in 2019. Pretty solid. Um, He's going late. Now, that That's one. Okay. So, there's very few players on this team that kind of call my attention. And, and the only reason I'm kind of interested in Sonny Michel, I, and I'm, I almost want to like just punch myself in the face and tell myself, don't, <laughs> don't do it. You don't want to buy into this backfield. I keep telling me, I keep having that talk with myself. Don't buy into this backfield. It's going to be a nightmare. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to ruin. You're going to be lose sleep over this. You're going to, I mean, you're going to be sitting with like a stomach ache at work. Just wondering like, Oh, I have to start Sony Michelle this week. It's going to kill you, you know, um, but he's going right now 78 overall. Um, I mean, you're talking about like the ninth round, eighth or ninth round for a starting running back is, is pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And with James White back there, you never know when you're going to have good production with both of them. And James White, 123 targets in 2018, 95 targets in 2019. I definitely don't want James White. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, with these players, it really depends on the script and what Belichick decides to do each week. And that's where you have to do your homework. Yeah, you have to do your homework on that or think in Bill Bill Belichick's mind as to what he's going to use and how they're going to use him for each particular game. And that's where the concern comes in with the running backs. But with – but the only – the biggest upside is that they have a new quarterback and – Belichick just needs him to be average. He needs, and the running backs are going to take can take care of most of that workload, and that's where you may see a lot more upside this year than maybe with previous years with them. Edelman is going in the seventh round right now. He's the only player that I feel comfortable, like actually legitimately comfortable. I, I you know, I was joking right now about Sonny Michelle. I do consider him late. I do, but I oh, almost I have not taken him a single time in these mock drafts because I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want part of, a part of that backfield, but Edelman um, provides value in that this team, like you said, what do they have? What do they have? You know, yeah. or whatever they're calling them. It's not much. They don't have a lot, you know, they have a, a freaking dog drafting for them. This, this poor <laughs> franchise is about to see famine after years and decades of, of feast. Who do they have? They have Julian Edelman. <laughs> then they need to rely on somebody, you know. So if I'm going to take somebody, I'll take Edelman. He's going to get productivity. He's going to be a focus on that offense, and he's going in the seventh round. Do I want to rely on him? No. But he's going in the seventh round. I don't have to. He's he's a gadget player on my team. I can flex him if I have to. If something happens, an injury or something like that, he's someone I can count on to fill in that spot. Yeah, he. I think he's going to be. I think you can trust him. 
Um, he's obviously not going to get you the big points you want every single week, but he's someone that you can rely on, at least providing decent production each week. He, he's someone get. where I, I truly believe his downside is a bottom end wide receiver three, you know, like finishing 36 overall to where his upside is like a top end wide receiver two. He's not, he's not going to blow you out of the water, but he's not going to destroy your team. He's a pretty low risk player because of the, the productivity that he's going to get. Yeah, in an instance like uh, what you were saying with Russell Wilson, uh, very volatile throughout the throughout the season, I feel like that's in a situation where you can use someone as Edelman to hedge the rest the rest of the receivers it, if you have someone that's too risky. It's good to have volatile players too. You have players that when they go off, they're going to win you that week. But what's really good is to have a few of those players that can put you over the edge and a whole lot of players that are going to produce week in, week out. Julian Edelman is not a sexy pick. If you draft Julian Edelman in the seventh round, you're not going to be celebrating, you know, jumping up and down. You know, you're just going to be like, okay. But I feel like you'd be happy if you have three great running backs in your team, you know? Like if you yeah. do Swan strategy, take, some, take all the great running backs you have, and then you end up with him. You're okay. I think you're okay with that. Like, So I did a draft today uh, where I, I – kind of messed around a little bit with that strategy. I, I went two running backs, just two running backs in the first two rounds. I, I put myself at the eight position. So I got Joe Mixon in the first, Kenyon Drake in the second. Then I just went like six or seven wide receivers. And then towards the end of the draft, I started taking really late running backs like Jordan Howard, um, Ronald Jones, um, you know, these like really late round running backs. Yeah. But I went really heavy on the wide receiver. I was so happy with it, dude. Like my wide receiver core didn't have any incredible players, but my starting lineup, like I had Marquise Brown on the bench, you know? And he, and so my, my, my three wide receivers starting were like Adam Thielen, Robert Woods, um, Stefan Diggs and Terry McLaurin. And I had Marquise Brown on the bench. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I kind of got turned on a little bit to that strategy. <laughs> like, if I'm drafting late there, I, I, I like that strategy a lot. It's pretty cool. Um, I mean, um, if you're playing against a League of Seabers, then the strategy <laughs> may work. If you're playing against the League of Seabers, you might as well just give up at the beginning of the season. Because no matter what you do, somehow he's going to draft all the best fucking players at their, you know, respective position. And then he'll draft like a Hernandez or Marmel yeah. or something. Somehow end up in the championship and lose again. <laughs> <laughs> He's a sacrificial player. All right. So speaking of sacrificial players, why don't we talk about sacrificial teams, a team that started last year by tanking, tanking for a certain player that they drafted this year without having the first pick in the draft. They kind of got exactly what they wanted. You know, this is a team that's rebuilding a team that had a new coach last year that showed some real potential on offense. I'm talking about the Miami Dolphins, who drafted Tua Tungavaloa. I looked that up. That is actually Tungavaloa. That, that, that is the correct pronunciation of that name. I looked that up because I don't want to be labeled as the racist on, that show. <laughs> on this show. Clearly, Lionel is the racist. Isn't Lionel, it like an Asian Can I ask that name one more time? Is it like Asian Pacific month or something? Oh, yeah. Uh, Pacific East Islander or something like that. 
Yeah, Eastern wetbacks or something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I, you know, with the, I'm not too interested in, in diving into the quarterbacks on, on the Dolphins. I'm, I'm just going to go off the cuff real quick with what I think is going to happen this year. Um, I, I, my personal opinion is that Ryan Fitzpatrick for this first year is better for the Dolphins than Tua. I think they should accept the fact that they're rebuilding and having Tua sit behind a veteran quarterback, learn and really just settle into, you know, his position, which I'm a big fan of quarterbacks, you know, sitting their first year and learning. Um, I think that would be greater. What I think is actually going to happen is Ryan Fitzpatrick probably won't make it out of September. If Tua is healthy, he'll probably be starting for this team at the very latest mid to late October. Um, but I think by October, Tua, Tua could be the, the, the quarterback for this team. And you have to wonder, you know, with Fitzpatrick, you had a lot of productivity on this team last year towards the end of the year. Uh, with Tua, yes, he has a lot of potential, but he's still a rookie. You know, like the numbers historically from even the greatest rookies are never – all that great you know so it kind of limits the potential for a lot of these players that having been said I do like this offense and I like the talent on this offense and I like where they're going in the draft Devontae Parker is um you know a player that I'm very greatly interested in last year he was one of the players on Rita's championship team last year and there's a reason for it it's because uh, you were able to get him as a real value. Now, he was going a lot later last year, and she got him off of waivers, actually. He was going as a real value, and he produced incredible. He was a top five wide receiver over the second half of the season. Right now, he's going in the early sixth round as the 27th quarterback. This is a guy that has wide receiver one upside, especially if Ryan Fitzpatrick is throwing to him. And he's one of those players that, yeah, you can't count on week-in, week-out production. But if you're talking about a difference maker on your team, here's one that is a value in the sixth round. Last year, 128 targets. That's a healthy number. 72 receptions, 1,202 yards, nine touchdowns. Sounds pretty great to me. Yeah. When did Rita get him? Like middle of the season? So Rita had this really interesting moment last season where um, she found herself in a position we didn't know this was going to happen. I, I happened to trade her David Johnson like a week before the news came out that he was going down for like the rest of the season. Um, she traded me Alvin Kamara, who was also injured at the time. Um, and I can't remember who else she had. She had all these injured players and she had been on a hot streak. And so she started, she just started grinding, dude. She started grinding, figuring out who was going to hit. She hit the waivers and she picked up a lot of really good players. She got Terry McLaurin, uh, Darius Slayton made a big difference. But arguably one of the ones that made the biggest difference was Devontae Parker because of how high his production was. Like he was killing it. Um, but aside from Devontae Parker, another one that's interesting to me is Preston Williams. He was a rookie last year. He was an undrafted rookie. And he came in uh, for the – he only played half the season, eight games. In those eight games, he had 60 targets. Pro-rate that to 16, 120 targets sounds pretty good to me, especially for someone who's going in the 11th round. Now, last year, he had 32 receptions, which is horrible. It's almost a 50% catch rate. But he played most, like, uh, he played half, like half of his games with, or at least two of his games with Josh Rosen. So you got to cut him some slack on a couple of <laughs> yeah. 
but he's, he's going and he got five touchdowns. He's going, um, I'm sorry. He got three touchdowns. He's going in the 11th round. He's another one that I'd be willing to take, you know, in the 11th round, you're kind of taking upside guys. You're hoping for a long shot. Here's a guy that has, you know, wide receiver two, wide receiver three upside, uh, you know, and by that, I mean, again, when I, and just so everyone knows, wide receiver one, I'm talking one through 12, two, 13 through 24. It's, it goes by dozens. I don't think Preston Williams is going to finish number three overall next year. No fucking way. But if, if he ends up, you know, as a, you know, the 30th ranked wide receiver, you, and in the 11th round, you're getting a hell of a value. That's a hell of a flex player. That's a player that interests me. Get him in the 10th. I would reach for him in the 10th. I've, I've drafted him a couple of times as high as the eighth round. By the time you get into the eighth round, you get into these really weird players where you're like, ah, I don't bucket, know. Just drop who you want at that guys. point. And especially there's a big benefit to like, if you go running back heavy, by the time you're in the eighth round, you're not really looking at running backs. You know, if you go running back heavy early on, you feel good at running back. Now you're taking upside wide receivers, right? So you're looking yeah. at who's got the upside, who's got the upside. You don't want to draft the tight end yet. You can get an upside tight end late upside quarterback late in the eighth round um you start looking at wide receivers or forget it i mean if you're in the eighth round you could also just uh maybe draft josh allen <laughs> yeah so uh the last thing on the dolphins i want to talk about or well last few things mike Gesicki, i do i like him as a late round like if i'm going to take a second tight end on my team um if he's available he's an upside guy uh, that could break out last year. He finished 11th at the position, ranked ninth in targets. Uh, and he really only broke out the second half of the year. So he could have a bigger role in this offense next year. Uh, the running backs, I'm kind of, I have taken them in a couple of drafts because there's upside. Jordan Howard has upside. He's going to be the one, two back. Matt Breida has uh, upside. He's going to be the third down back. He's going to get most of the passing productivity, but uh, it is one of those, um, backfields that kind of makes me want to go running back heavy at the beginning so that I don't have to deal with the question of who's it going to be this week, Howard or Breda throughout the season. Anything else you have to say about the Dolphins lineup? They, uh, they got a helmet on their logo. It's got an M on it, orange. And it's, I think it's white, like around it. The stadium is like in the middle of nowhere, apparently. Uh, apparently, oh, like it's like you go down, you know, the street <laughs> and like. Okay, okay. Uh, none of that was useful information. Absolutely, none of that was useful information. Thank you, I appreciate that. They're a, uh, they're a uh, winning organization. They they make the correct picks every single year. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to lead them to a Super Bowl. They're going to get rid of Tua. They're going to trade Tua for an offensive lineman and a fifth-round pick. And they're going to call him Magic Fitz. And by the age of 50, he'll have three Super Bowls. Write that down. Did you write that down? I'm writing it down right now. Okay. Putting it down. It's going in the books. So we may or may not be doing a segment – and I say that because I truly, truly don't know. But if we are doing this segment, it would be coming in right about now. Nah. 
So today on the podcast, we have the one and only champion, Rita Blanco. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. So Rita, we had a couple of questions for you. Uh, today we we're going to discuss, you know, maybe some draft strategies. But uh, before we got into that, we wanted to get, you know, just a little uh, background on, on your fantasy perspective here. We wanted to know, you've been in the league for two years. And at what point did you decide to start taking it so seriously that you obliterated pretty much the entire league last year? Yeah, at what point did you decide to cheat? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say right before the draft of this past season, because last season I basically was in last place and I was not about to have that again. So you're a very competitive person by nature. I've known you for a very long time. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about you. Um, <laughs> which is why I wanted you to join this league with us. I knew you would love it. I knew you would fall in, um, just fall in love with it. So this wasn't more about wanting to win the league. This was more of you just not wanting to be last? <laughs> uh, it was both. It was both. Okay. You know what? You know what it was? Um, I, I was super like not having Amrisha's shit talk. You know what I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> Green Bay was both in my about. shit with her there shit talk. There was a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of shit talk. <laughs> So shit talk aside, uh, what what did you do to kind of like zone in to fantasy football? I picked up a lot of podcasts. So the ones that I was using was um, fantasy footballers and then the ESPN one. Ugh, what's it called? I can't remember. I don't know. I, I listen to the, to the footballers for sure. I actually really enjoy their podcast. Uh, so last year, one one thing that you dealt with uh, halfway through the year, I kind of screwed you over with the trade, <laughs> and it, it wasn't intentional. It was not intentional. Yeah, all the the running backs all got hurt. When, when I <laughs> when I did that trade, I really seriously thought it was solid value. It happened to I traded David Johnson to you, and I got. But you got Kamara, and he didn't do really much for you well, either. So. Alvin Kamara was injured at the time, also. Yeah, but I. I didn't know that David Johnson was about to be injured for like forever and just go to absolute garbage. Up until that point, he'd been like the, like a top six running back. But yeah. anyway, so when that trade happened, I remember your team fell into a really weird position where you had a lot of injuries and you had a lot of holes in your team and you went to the waiver wire. Some of the players you picked up, um, Devontae Parker, who we spoke about today, Darius Slayton um, mm-hmm. on the Giants, and uh, Terry McLaurin. So uh, yeah. what, what made you go after these players and, and what made you just like, what was your, what was your mentality during that time? So I remember specifically picking up Devonte Parker because I knew nobody was looking at the dolphins. Like the dolphins were just not having a, it was just the worst year for them. <laughs> so I knew for sure nobody was even looking at them. So I remember the week before I picked him up watching like is like how are they utilizing their players however they can and I remember the he got a lot of looks and I was like hmm and the rest of their schedule I wouldn't say it was but it was easier than what they had at the beginning of their schedule so I was like I think you can pick up some points so I picked him up and then McLaurin I remember picking up 
I think I had had him for a little. Or I, don't I think remember. if I'm not mistaken, I think you picked him up week one, which to me that's also. Let me just talk on that for a second. Week one waivers are it's one of the funnest parts of the season because that's when all the hype goes crazy. It's like, oh my god, this guy had an amazing week one. I need to go after him. And you start seeing people, you know, put in bids for all sorts of players. John Ross, um, you know, last year I picked up Mark Andrews, who I, like an idiot, traded away. But, you know, the rookies are really a high risk. I, last year, I looked at Terry McLaurin and I chose. I remember telling myself, not nah, he's a rookie. But you took that risk. Yeah, and I think, too, that it was another one of those moves that, like, Washington had a shit season, too. So I just, just, yeah, I think I had the same assumption, like, and I knew going into the season that Washington was going to have a shit season. And so, so basically what you're telling me during this time period, what you did is you said, what is everyone else not doing and where's their value there? Yeah, that's it. That's where, that's where I started at for sure. After the. Cause draft. I mean, even, even Darius Slayton on the giants, I mean, the yeah. giants were garbage last year and he, he, there was plenty of weeks where his performance won you the week. Yeah. He outperformed Barkley in a lot of weeks too. So oh, that, I don't know. For that a was, good that portion of the season. And I, so I, I had Barkley. That was my angle. My angle last year, I think. Um, who, who's doing it and who's, who's the gold in the shit pile, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So what, what are some of your targets uh, for this year? Do you have any yet? Have you have you been keeping up with it or not so much? I do, and I've been, but I'm not about to tell you. You're not, you're not going to disclose. I'm not doing my not, strategy to two people. A big, a big worry of us is, has been that, like, you know, I'm, I'm being completely open about my perspective on every single player. Yeah. And, but I kind of like that. You know, I hope that, you know, the league, you know, pays attention to this and that that makes it a little more, you know, competitive that, you know, I wasn't into fantasy football at all when, before I started this league and getting into it really, I, I just love the shit talking and the shit talking is better when everyone is competitive. <laughs> yeah. You know? So speaking of that, what, what, um, when you were for, before this, like what was your interest in football and like, what has fantasy football done for your interest in football? Well, I've always had an interest in football, um, for sure. I th I think what it's done to my interest in football is pull me away from just paying attention to my team. Um, so I would, this past year especially, like I would find myself the entire day on Sunday just watching games like back to back to back, and I wasn't doing that before, but. Um, and then keeping up with injuries, like it just like made me a more well-rounded football fan, I guess, not just Absolutely. my one team. And it's all, to me, it's the funnest time of the year. That whole yeah, time, and from September to Christmas, I'm like, yes, I'm constantly engaged into this. This is awesome. Ooh, I have a question, Mister Podcast. What do you think is going? What do you think? Okay, so they're talking about. Um, not postponing the NFL season right now because of the COVID stuff going on. But they're saying to start the season minus fans. What do you think that's going to do for the games, the outcomes of the games? So I, I actually um, 
I think that it does affect the players. You can't say that it yeah. does not affect the players. No, for sure. I think the hardest part, especially at that level, is communication because you can't hear anything. No, and absolutely. And they play a big part in the game. They play a huge part in the game. When you have that home crowd just cheering and you can't hear, when you're at the Saints Stadium, when, you know, the, these stadiums that are famous, for, um, you know, Arrowhead, that are famous for not being able to hear audible changes and all those things, that kind of goes away. And so if I think it has an effect, I think um, one of the interesting things about sports is how much the fans can sway a game. You know, they can turn a, a, a typical game versus, you know, a top seed versus, one of the, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. They can flip it out of nowhere. You know, last year the Dolphins beat the Patriots towards the end of the year. Right. You know, a lot of big changes, right? And, and that doesn't happen without the fans. So I think if you take the fans out of it, um, people who, you know, really run stats on these teams are going to have a higher um, accuracy rate, I think because you're taking a variable out of the game, you know, and, and one of the greatest variables is that when we were just talking about kickers, how all of a sudden, you know, you can be playing a week and this kicker scores 20 points and then you lose your week and you're like, how the hell could I know that that would happen? Yeah. Sometimes that happens because of the fans involvement, because of other things that you can't even consider. So, I mean, I think it's interesting. This probably benefits the chargers and Rams, right? I mean, your opponents like have take the home field advantage anyway, so maybe that brings some upside to those kind of players. For those, that is teams. a very good point, particularly for uh, for the Chargers. All right, so kind of out of questions. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about the AFC East today, so out of the teams there, how do you feel about the Patriots, and who do you think is going to win that division? Ooh, so I was—I don't want to say I was blown away by the decision to for, for Tom Brady to move. What I'm intrigued in was their draft picks. So I don't know, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I don't know. I hated their draft. I hated their draft. They're, Bill Belichick has a mind of his own and he it, just It was a dog that did it. It was a dog. It was so, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just, know. So, as far as what's what the outcome of that division is going to be, I have no idea. I have no uh, idea. I think the front runners are the Bills. It's the it's the Bills' division to lose because the Bills made the playoffs last year with the team that they currently have. Yeah. Um, they arguably have the best all-around team. They definitely have – well, they don't have the best defense in that division. The Patriots still have the best defense in that division. But they have the best defense-offense combo. I would still give it to the Bills. I, I, have, I have a couple of questions for you on the Eagles. Because okay. they're, they're a team that's been tormenting me as far as, like, rankings go, um, almost on every level. So I, I'm going to break down a couple of things. Uh, let, let's start with Miles Sanders. Okay. The reason I, – I love Miles Sanders. I think he's incredibly talented. Last year I used him a lot in uh, DFS. He won me – my big tournament, he was on my team. So I'm very grateful for Miles Sanders. Uh, and I think he has a lot of potential, but I'm worried because Doug Peterson, since he's been head coach, has never used just one running back. He's had he's always used a committee. So how how do you feel about Miles Sanders? And do you think that they would sign a veteran running back like Lamar Miller, Devontae Freeman, who are still on in free agency? I think yes, because they, I think they will go 
to expand their roster, I think they are going to go for a veteran back only because I don't want to say he's going to like prepare for the shit that was our right receiver team this past year, but we did have to rely a lot on the backs. And I think he might learn something from, say, I don't know what, what team uses like receiving backs a lot. I don't know. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but we might go like in that direction, like to like well, they, they incorporated Miles Sanders. One of the things that I love about Miles Sanders is how he was incorporated into the passing game. But a, a big reason that that happened was you guys had no wide receivers last year. Your best exactly. wide receivers on the team were um, Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, obviously, and Miles Sanders. You know, yeah, so. and that's what that that's what I mean. So I don't know. I don't know if he's gonna prepare for the the worst, but I mean, I think that would be smart to do so because they they found so much success in using their backs as receiving backs. So then let me ask you this. Right now he's going uh, in the top 15. Basically, the latest that you can get Miles Sanders is early in the third round. If you're lucky, you might get him late in the second round. That's a pretty high price. You're talking about your second pick, basically. Um, would you take him there? Over other backs? Uh, um, and other wide receivers. You're talking about he's going right around uh, Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay, as far as the wide true. receivers go. Uh, I think it would depend on which backs have gone already, but that's a good place to take him. I think I would. Yeah, I, I find him interesting. Uh, I don't think Elshon Jeffrey is going to be a big force this year just because he's coming off of that Liz Frank injury and that usually that year back for wide receivers is not usually very productive. He's also older. But you guys drafted uh, Jalen Rager, who a lot of teams had him projected going to the Green Bay Packers in the first round. He was always drafted or projected to be a first-round wide receiver. He's incredibly talented. But the Eagles moved up to trade him. To, to, to acquire him. Um, do you think he's going to be your number, your number one wide receiver, or if Deshaun Jackson's healthy, is he going to be the number one target? I think Philly has a little soft spot in their heart, Jackson. So I think they're going to do anything to try to build him up and utilize him so that they can get the same production that they got from him when he was in Philly. He went to Washington. So I think they're going to try to push Jackson into their number one on the depth chart, but I think he's a good fallback if Jackson just can't get up there anymore. I, I love how late Jackson is going. In the, in, in the drafts right now, he's going almost in the 11th round. I'd take him earlier than that because he only had one week with Carson Wentz last, last year, and he scored over 30 points in that yeah. one week that he had with Carson Wentz last year. And he still has the potential to do that. He's incredibly talented. He always has been, especially on a high-powered offense, multifaceted offense like the Eagles. You know, they have a great tight end group, great running back group. Um, I, 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 between the two, would rather take Deshaun just because he's going a little bit later. Jalen Rager, I think right now, is going in the seventh or eighth round. I'm interested in him, but I do think that there's going to be potential. If his value drops early in the season, maybe I can make a cheap trade offer halfway through the season <laughs> and acquire him towards the end of the year when he's going to actually get
get gain a part in the offense. Yeah, and I think it's also going to have a lot to do with how much time uh, Wentz can spend with him because he has notoriously done better um, with backs he's had time to work with. Like Carson Wentz is not like a one-fit-all kind of quarterback he can play with anyone like he needs to develop that chemistry and it's been proven over and over and over that if that chemistry not is not there the production is not there so he's that a could baller also be that was? so he's a baller and it breaks my heart because when i do these no, mock drafts sure. uh carson wentz he goes really late in drafts but the truth is i know that i won't get him because you're gonna draft him because you always you always draft him and it's always worked out for you. Last year, you took you took him as your priority, and then you took Lamar Jackson late, and that was that was the re- that was your championship move, right? That was my sneaky, sneaky. I was not sure, and I knew that if anybody else was going to know to get him, it would be you. And I'm glad I nipped him before you did, yep. because that one that one I read about, <laughs> I like heard about. I was like, well, I'm gonna keep this on the down low because he was projected to surpass Mahomes in the in the fantasy points and I was like damn how is that even possible so I was like well you know take a chance I had him I was I was I bought into Lamar Jackson from his rookie year I had I had him I picked him up off the waivers and I said this is my target next year and I got cocky on in the draft I got cocky and I underestimated (laughs) everybody I was like nobody knows he's gonna go late and when we started getting to that like nine ten turn, I was thinking about taking him, and I thought, no, I can get him later. I'm gonna get him as a value, huge value. I'm gonna take these other players, and you fucking took him out from under me. <laughs> that that I was so impressed when I saw that shit. I was like, Rita's in it this year. As soon as I saw you do that, I was like, it's a, it. She's in it. She's in it. It's done. Oh man. Well, I'm very excited for this next year. Um, Rita, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. And uh, yeah, any last words? See you at the draft, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, motherfuckers. <laughs> oh! Okay, so when, when do you draft Zach Ertz so I can take him like right before? I'm going to I'm gonna do like a weird ass, I, I'm preparing a weird ass draft strategy and I don't know if it's going to work out for me but I don't think it's going to make any sense to anybody else. So I'm prepared. I have my plan. I can't wait. I can't wait. (laughs) I'm going to be so excited. So we're after the draft We're uh, we have an idea right now for the draft where we want to record it. We want to make that an episode, but then we want to break down the draft on another episode. And we're going to make that one an extended episode. If, if people want to feature on that episode, talk about, you know, their little draft strategy and shit. I think that could be a lot of fun. So the sure. draft is going to be a bigger event this year. As usual, trying to grow our league, trying to grow what we're doing. Hell yeah. I'm down. I'm, down. Yeah. I'm ready. It's time.
Oh my god.